you're a grad student, just here to remind everybody that tomorrow is December. So while we all recover from that news, I am so incredibly honored to announce that BetterHelp is now a sponsor of this podcast. BetterHelp is the world's largest online counseling service. It's not a crisis line or self-help. It is online professional counseling. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. This is available worldwide, which can be especially helpful and extra accessible if you are seeking services not offered in your area. With BetterHelp, you can access your account at any time send a message to your counselor, or schedule your weekly video or phone sessions all online, so no waiting room. Plus, if you decide that your counselor isn't a good match for you, it is easy and free to change counselors if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and there's even financial aid available, which, again, makes this an even more accessible option for us grad students. Episode 14's guest Katrina mentioned that she used BetterHelp while living in Germany and getting her PhD, and if you want to hear more about it, you can go check out episode 14 after after listening to today's episode. So if you're interested in trying BetterHelp, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash deargradstudent. So join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced, licensed professional with BetterHelp. Again, the link you want to visit for 10% off your first month is betterhelp.com slash deargradstudent. Anyways, without further ado, let's get started with today's episode all about the perspective of a recent Master's of Science graduate and current research assistant, Hannah Olson. Hello listeners, welcome back to Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana, I'm a fourth-year doctoral student and your host, and I'm joined today by a research assistant and recent Master of Science graduate in neuroscience, Hannah Olson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be your first dear grad student guest who's not actually currently a grad student. That's right. Very controversial. <laughs> uh, you won't be the only one because I will have some people in the uh, in the future who already got their doctorate or their professors. So you're just the beginning of a very fun journey of non-graduates on the grad student podcast. Or I guess you're a graduate, but a non-grad student on the grad school podcast. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Well, I'm super happy to have you here. I feel like half the world has watched us interact with Shit's Creek memes back and forth on Twitter. And like now it's culminating into an episode. I'm super thrilled. On that point, where can people find you on social media so that they can share Shit's Creek memes with you and and bond with you over the best TV show that maybe has been on since our, this whole decade? I don't really know. Where can people find you online? Yes. So um, I love academic Twitter. I just kind of transitioned last year into making my Twitter a little more academic professional. My handle is overanalyzed. I like a good pun and I overanalyze things. And my name is Hannah and I just explained the joke to you. So the handle is uh, O-V-E-R-H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-V-E. I love that. I like think about that all the time. And I really love that pun. So thank you for your service. It took me seven years of social media to come up with it. Oh my God. You know what? It's worth it. So like you mentioned, you are not a current grad student. And I've already said this feels controversial, but you did finish a master's. So you have your master's of science. What did you do your master's in? Like, what was your research? So I did a bachelor of arts in psychology first. And then I was like, wow, I don't really know the science side. So I did a master of science in neuroscience. And I got there and 
And the labs that were available to me for research were really like molecular stuff, working with mice, stuff like that. And I was like, ooh, I want to kind of step back from that area, stay more in the psychology realm. So I just started looking around and I was like, ooh, like language is cool. Um, I speak Spanish. I speak a little bit of Norwegian. So I was like, language is awesome. Let me just ask a few people if I can work with them. So I did this project on something called voice switching. Oh. Yeah. So you and I are kind of putting on our like chatty podcast voice right now. But if you like talk to a baby, you're going to do baby talk. If you talk to your boss or in an interview, you're going to be a little bit more professional. You talk to your family and your friends different ways. So we've called that voice switching. And we think that's kind of a skill to be able to change how you talk to the like social situation. You know, it's so funny. I feel like you watched me do that when I did my little intro. Totally. I literally do this thing where like I go to place of Zen and I like take a deep breath because I have to kind of turn that on for the intro. I mean, I always... I don't know. I like talk pretty hyped up and stuff during the podcast. Although anyone listening who knows me in real life will be like, nope, she's just like that all the time. But uh, (laughs) the voice switching is actually so interesting because I feel like you have actually partially described me wanting to do the podcast of like, can I just be as great as like, you know, the PhD student sounds so professional, sounds so whatever, but like also I'm just 25 and like, I'm just trying to do my best and I want a place for both. And so I'm kind of like, I'm going to be that PhD student and not do all that switching. Yeah. Your podcast basically said, Hey, let's talk about research in grad school, but you don't have to voice switch because this is a safe place. You know? Yes. So, but so we did research about how, like, if you can imitate accents, well, you're probably a decent voice switcher. So I had them do this cool task where they imitated this accent doing this funny story. And then we looked at their brains and we had them do like a vocab test and a personality test and all this stuff. Wait, so my, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you just get, you know, what some of those times where like something makes you have a memory of something that you're like, wow, I haven't thought about that in five years. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I was in college, I took Spanish. I lived in Spain for a little bit, so I used to be very fluent, but like, don't test me. I'm not great right now. But in Spanish class, you know how sometimes they would like play a tape or like the teacher would say something and have you say it back? Yes. I used to get made fun of because I would be able to perfectly imitate the tape. The accent. Yeah. So like people, like we would play something and then it'd be like everyone would go around and say it to like try to develop a better accent to probably stop sounding stupid and like American when they speak Spanish. And I would do it with the like up and down of the voice. I don't know what that's called. I should, but I don't know. Inflection? Prosody. That. I would do it with the ups and the downs to the point that like people would actually just stop and laugh because they'd be like, just say it how you say it. I'm like, I can only basically, I'm just repeating back what I heard. And like, I just had such a memory of that. Oh my gosh. Sorry. You just like. Yeah. No. So, so you're probably a good voice switcher. Um, We found that people with open personalities were better at it because we think maybe they're more willing to take in that information and change how they talk. And then people with high vocabularies, they just have more, you know, exposure to different phonemes and stuff like that. That's not me. That's me. I'm a, I'm a literary literature nerd kind of in the background. So I thought the word epitome was, I would read it as epitome until Um, like two years ago, but I try. And that one's not your fault. There's words there. Like if you never hear them out loud, why would you say it that way? Because English is honestly kind of a dumb language when it comes to pronunciation. I love that about Spanish, that Mm. everything is spelled exactamente how you say it. Yes. My realization for the word epitome happened in a restaurant with my boyfriend. We were talking about something and... I don't know if I said the, oh yeah, I said the word epitome in something, like in a sentence. And my boyfriend does have, he's really like really good vocabulary. Like it's a, it's just like a known thing. He's just a little bit better at like English and, and all of that than I am. I'm not great. And he made a comment like, oh, like, you know, a vocab word I don't know, which is not an insulting thing. <gasps> he because thought he it knows, was a new word. Wait for it. We both did. Hang on. We were, <laughs> he was like, 
wow, like this is really cool. Like it's usually, it's always the other way around. Like I, this is not an insult to me at all. It just is. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, you know, what's really weird. It's spelled the same way as epitome and it means the same thing. But I had only those thoughts in my head. And then I just started hysterically laughing. Oh, like he wasn't because I hadn't said that out loud. We're in a restaurant. I'm hysterically laughing, like cannot catch my breath breathing. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I'm just mispronouncing the word epitome and I'm saying epitome. And we just lost ourselves for like five or 10 minutes. Couldn't breathe. The waiter was concerned. We were those weird people. And like, it'll come up all the time. Like we'll be doing something and he's like, you might say, this is the epitome of blah, 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 blah. So not me, but interesting. (laughs) I like love this. (laughs) <laughs> and like it's just correlations so you could be a voice fisher without having a super high vocabulary Thanks. it might be like an education thing i actually mm. found that iq might underlie kind of all of that because it was related to a lot of the things but mm. it's one of those things though where like my advisor was just doing this project and i said hey i need to do a thesis and she said here's something that i need a person to run and i was like that's interesting enough so it wasn't even my idea i just was like that's cool enough for me to work on it for a year and learn how to do some MRI and some behavioral and whatever. Yeah, that is amazing experience to get as a master. It's like to do anything fMRI or was it fMRI or just MRI? It was fMRI. And then the super fun part is that because of COVID, we didn't really even get to run very many or analyze it. So I just kind of put in my predictions. Yeah. And I was going to say like, that's sort of the other piece of this is that you finished your master's during COVID. Yes, I did. Oh, man. So uh, I actually have tried to work to realize that I was a little bit lucky that that happened because during my last year, my master's degree, I had four jobs at once. Oh, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah, uh, it was it was fine. Um, I was doing I was doing so many things. I was coaching volleyball on the weekends. Mm. I had a part time administrative assistant job. I picked up a neuropsychology psychometrist position that was part-time. That's actually where I want to be in the field. So I was like, ooh, I know I have three jobs already because my thesis was one of my jobs. And I got paid to be a research tech, which was honestly pretty lucky as well. That's so cool. Yes. And so I was like, ooh, let me just pick up this fourth job because it's in my field. And I think that's really important. And so when COVID happened, my job slowly melted away. My administrative assistant job, I couldn't do from home. So that was just kind of over. Coaching got canceled because it just wasn't safe for all these teenage girls to be in the same room all the time. And so I was like, oh, cool. So I'm just doing this neuropsych job remotely and my thesis. And so actually to sit in my apartment for two months straight, three months straight, and I was in the writing portion, I had collected all of my data in the fall and I was super lucky. I ran, I literally ran an MRI like the Thursday before the campus shut down. And so we at least had that data happen. And so I got to just sit at home and write and write and write. Wow. So this like brings up questions for me about like the way that your program is structured. So like, how did you, I mean, I heard how you did four jobs, but like, what were your time requirements? Like, was it very much that you could make up your own schedule? And like, is that typical for master's programs in that way? So my master's program, I think is a little bit different, especially because it wasn't a master's of psychology. And I think that's a different setup. Um, And then there's MBAs. And so I actually had a friend who was doing an MBA um, online. So there's so many different ways that can be set up. I applied for a neuroscience program that was one year long and I didn't get into that one. So that's why I went to the other one. But mine was kind of make it your own. There Mm. were night classes. Oh. And oh my God, I'm not a morning person. I don't drink coffee. So I was like, You don't drink coffee? I know. Everyone in grad school is so shocked. I don't. I will like have a cherry Coke Zero if I absolutely need it, but I don't do caffeine. (laughs) That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. You're like, God, if I'm desperate enough, I will have that cherry Coke Zero. God damn it. (laughs) 
I will have a cherry Coke. I only have one cup of coffee a day, though. I never have two. I have such a craving for a cup in the morning. But once I've had one cup, I'm like, I'm all done. I don't know why, but I, I hit a limit pretty well. So right. I'm not addicted to coffee. My parents were Diet Coke people. So I just didn't grow up around the smell. I didn't like yes. it. I, I haven't acquired the taste. I'm just going to not acquire the taste. I don't need it in my life. My mom is a Diet Coke person. Um, and in fact, she is like, she's in the camp of people who are like McDonald's Diet Coke people. We're like, it's different. <gasps> I understand. I My dad is a coffee drinker. So I didn't drink coffee till college because I had this memory of like, my dad would drink coffee and then it would just like everything around him would smell like stale coffee. Like not, it's just like, I don't know, a guy thing maybe. It just like lingered, you know, where it's like he would always buy coffee. So it wasn't like I had these warm fuzzies of like, oh, my house smells like coffee right. in the morning. It would be like, oh, we're in the car early driving somewhere I didn't want to go because I was angsty as a teen. And what did I smell? Dad coffee. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't, I'm a coffee drinker, but I, I don't go overboard but I totally get the diet coke thing yeah um, so I can't totally do it. So, so I loved having night classes that was a super they were like five o'clock to seven twenty. Wow. so I loved that and that's like my anatomy class and everything we actually had a retired pediatric neurologist who taught a lot of our classes so Whoa. he did those evening classes he was great uh so basically I actually started my program in January they were very flexible they were like you can start in the fall or the spring mm-hmm. so I started my program in January and then there was a thesis track and a non-thesis track and the thesis is hard and it makes it take long but I was like, that's the only way I'm going to get research experience. Mm-hmm. If you do the non-thesis track, you just like write a research paper that's basically just like a lit review and then you move on with your life. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, how is that going to get me to where I want to go next? So I took um, a bunch of weird electives because all of the core classes are in the fall. So when you start in the spring, it's just kind of like, all right, go ahead. But I took an opioids class where we learned how to like review literature from the program director who I loved, oh. this amazingly smart Italian woman. I just I love it. loved her. So we took... I just took some weird electives and then in the fall I took all of the core classes at once whoa and I was doing neuroanatomy and neurophysiology and pathophysiology so but I had I had like three classes at a time and so that allowed me to I had a part-time job that was really flexible so if I had a class in the middle of the day I would kind of go to work in the morning and then go to class and then go back to work so my master's program took me two and a half years because of the thesis and because of starting in the spring so I drove halfway across the country in three days by myself When I moved from Minnesota to the East Coast in January, Mm. so I was lucky it didn't snow. Yeah, honestly. That was fun. So I did three classes in in the spring. Uh, We didn't really do summer stuff. Financial aid is tough in the summer, so I just didn't take anything. Just kept working. So then I took all the core classes in the fall, and then we have comprehensive exams. Mm. So I took a comprehensive exam, but I got to take it right away after I took the core classes. So that was really helpful for being able to remember things Mm. and kind of having it all fresh. So I passed on my first try. Uh, my program director actually gave me a phone call to let me know that I passed. So that was really a cute moment. I was actually starting to work on my thesis when she told me that I had passed. Cute. And then I found my thesis lab after one year in my program. So I started volunteering there mm. before I even started my project for a semester. I just kind of helped run participants for a postdoc in the lab for the spring semester. And then so fall 2019 through spring 2020 is when I did actual thesis part. Cool. And we got 50 participants. Wow. And that's an fMRI study, right? Like, well, so we did fMRI. We, oh, okay. I didn't even get into this part of the thesis. We have an expert population. So we ran a bunch of undergrads, you know, Mm -hmm. we ran like 47 undergrads, but then we had a few experts where we thought people that would be really good at this whole voice switching concept that I mentioned would be actors because they have to do accents. They have to do it on stage. It's a whole persona, right? Mm -hmm. So the actors are going to be super good at this, especially because we were doing accent imitation as kind of the measure. And then we thought, what about transgender folks? 
because a lot of, not everyone, but a lot of transgender folks will go through a voice transition when they go through the transition. So maybe, you know, maybe we thought they like already have kind of learned how to do those vocal changes. Mm. Maybe they'll be really good at this. And then we wanted to look at social code switchers too. So maybe people who speak like AAVE, African-American vernacular English, kind of at home, or those who speak Spanish with their family, they would have been Spanglish and then are speaking English at school. We thought maybe since they already had kind of experience with this voice switching more than, because everyone does it. Yeah, Everyone has like customer service voice. I I did customer service for a minute. Same. And so you said that you were paid to do research. Is that something that you got at the very beginning? Like, is that something that was regularly offered to people? I think this varies so much by master program across yeah. all disciplines. But what was that like? Did you just get funding? So my master's program is unfunded. I think a lot of them are, but it wasn't very expensive. Um, so I, I kind of decided it was worth it. It didn't add very much to my student loans. But that's a privilege that I was able to make that choice to go further into debt. So the program that I did, I just kind of took classes and I worked on the side and I paid for my tuition and that kind of thing. The, the program that I did was really make it your own. And so when I went out and found a lab outside of my university to do my thesis in, uh, I had to, I, I did work for free for that first volunteer semester. Sure. And I didn't even get credits for it because I would have had to pay for like a class. That's always the worst. Why do they make us pay for credits yeah. of the work that we're doing that's unpaid? Right. No, thank you. Yeah. So she was like, do you want to get class credit for this? And I was like, I don't need more credits to graduate. And so I would rather do this for free than pay to do it. Yeah. Right. You know, that's how finances work. So I did it for free first semester. It was one day a week. It wasn't a huge deal. I still got to keep, you know, my millions of other jobs. (laughs) And then the university that I did my thesis at had something called special payroll. So I basically got paid out of the grant because the grant Mm. that she had to do, this project wasn't my idea. It was her idea already. So she had it, she had it funded. It was internally funded by the university. Uh, It was the psychology and speech and language and hearing sciences department working in conjunction with a voice coach from the drama department. Oh my gosh. So cool. So I had like co-PIs and the drama instructor was actually from England. So she already had some accent stuff coming in. She taught accents to actors. We had acting students come and like be our participants. Oh, so, so cool. cool. So cool. So much fun. Yes. So I was very lucky that I ha- I got to get paid because there was already money in the grant for an RA to run the project. And so she basically just ended up picking me instead of one of her grad students because they already had their own project. So she needed somebody to do it anyway. So yeah. I basically got like more PhD level payment because it was written into the grant. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like even just kind of PhD experience. I mean, in psychology, you know, you mentioned before about like you kind of had rotations or like you could kind of like pick a thesis lab after you do classes. And that was a big difference from my experience in psychology. PhDs were like you're kind of admitted to a lab at the start. And that's like you start with a mentor and you go through with them unless your interests really change or they leave or there's like something else. Whereas like it's really interesting to hear about the perspective of having a choice in that or like it being very normalized like you might float around and then land it's like just a totally different perspective and it's I think it's really interesting you know I think about my own experience starting my PhD program at 22 I definitely was in the right lab that's never been a question but Mm -hmm. if there had been multiple labs doing like health psychology at the university that I'm at it probably would have almost strengthened what I already knew I liked just by additional exposure I think it definitely benefits people. Like, that's really cool that you got to sort of dabble and play around. Like, 
it almost sounds like the area you landed on, you wouldn't have found otherwise almost. Right. And the con to it is that there were two labs in my actual university and they just didn't have space. One of them was doing Alzheimer's disease in mice, looking at like microbiome, which cool, but just not exactly my area. And then the other one was looking at astrocytes and they just didn't have room for all of the students to be able to do something. And not everyone wanted to do a thesis. Mm. So I want to take this moment to advocate for sending those cold emails that you've been thinking about sending and you've been writing them in your head and you have them in your drafts, oh my goodness, send them. Mm-hmm. Because that was how I got to do this. There were three labs that were studying language at a university nearby. And so I cold emailed three people and the first one said no. And I had, I was like, oh, okay. All right. That was a horrible experience. Let me eat some ice cream. Let me cry about it. Let me reread the email and realize that she was actually very kind and like just didn't have space, didn't know how it would work because it was a little bit weird to be from a different university and she wished me luck. And I was like, oh, that was actually very kind. I was just devastated. It's fine. Right. We all have those moments. Right. And so then I got another email from the woman who ended up being my PI. Oh my God, I loved her. She was also really into puns and Schitt's Creek. So it was the best. And she was just like, oh, why don't you come in and we'll talk about this. And I was like, great. And then I actually got an email from the third person after that, that was like, I'm interested. What's up? And I was like, oh, I actually have someone already. Thank you so much. Amazing. So I got, so I got to say no. Yes. <laughs> but like, you're totally right. Cold emails are so scary to send. Yes. So scary. I have only sent them in the context of like, when I was a senior in college, I sent them, I, you know, they usually say like, well, only send them if you have a purpose. And my whole purpose was like, I'm a senior in college and like, they have no reason to interview me. So I'm more just going to get my name out there. But like my cold emails were probably a little similar to yours where I was like, hi, my name is Alana. I go to this university. This is what my degree is in. I'm really interested in joining you as a PhD student um, because our interests overlap in this area. I've attached my CV and I look forward to sending in my application, you know, thanks. Um, And I might, I might say like, if they didn't say on their website, yes, I'm taking grad students. I might've added to the email, you know, I'm just emailing to see if you have room for a PhD for a student. And honestly, I was shocked by the fact that I got any responses. My current PI, she did respond. And I remember uh, because she was my top choice, like mentor choice at the time, like I freaked out. I'm pretty sure I printed that email out and I had it hanging up senior year. I don't anymore uh, because (laughs) I talk to her all the time, but that was a really scary thing to put myself out there because I'm like, I don't want to annoy people, but like it's, Sure, there's an art to it. You know, you don't want to just ask a question where there's an answer somewhere clearly. You don't want to waste their time. But like, you have the right to cold email. Yeah. Professors like people who are excited and interested and engaged. And like, that was totally reflected in your experience. Like, she was like, yeah, this is interesting. Let's chat about it. Like, they're just as curious about science and all that as we are, if not more. Right. And she clarified, she came back and she was like, okay, this is this is interesting. I actually have an opening for a one-year project, but how would it work? And so then I got to kind of loop in my advisor from my program and kind of say what was going on. And then she's just kind of said, great, can you come and meet with me next Friday? And I said, yes, wow, sure. Sounds Amazing. good. And so it sounds like with your master's program, as the theme of today's episode, it was classes at the start and then a qualifying exam. And so for you, was it like the qualifying exam had to be done before you had like, quote unquote, approval to start the thesis process? So it was it was just a comprehensive exam. And oh, it was, yeah, it was it was on three of our courses. And honestly, it was just a graduation requirement. Mm. So I could have done the whole thesis. I actually, so I did it really early. People usually take a while to do the comps. I did it after a year of the program because of when I started. And so my advisor had saved it in like the 2019 folder. And then she reached out to me in 2020 and was like, oh my goodness, Hannah, you're almost done with your thesis and you haven't completed your comps. How are you supposed to graduate? And I was like, um, hello there. I actually did pass my comps first try like 
a year and a half ago. And she was like, oh, that was in a different folder. I'm so sorry. You're good to go. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I was very confident because I knew that I did it. And I knew that there was record of that somewhere. And so That's I was good. like, I was like, it's okay. I was like, I know that you are like a mother and a program director and you're applying for tenure right now. And, and you have so it. many students. Yeah. And I was like, I love you. You're just incorrect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, this, at this time. No. Respectfully, I have. <laughs> um, right. So I want to hear a little bit about this comps thing. I think that this is going to be different across all programs, but it definitely reminds me of comps and PhD programs in terms of my understanding of it. So in my program, I'll have to take, well, quote unquote, take a comp exam or take a qualifying exam before I'm allowed to do my thesis. That's like, all right, you have all this foundational knowledge and you have done a thesis. And so like, this is us being like, you have approval to move on to the next step. I think that like, it's basically like, uh, if you haven't done enough, this is our place where we can let you go. Now, I think that that's how that existed in the past. How that really works now is that if you fail it, you get to kind of try again. You have like a whole conversation with your PI about why that happened. But in my program, it's no longer an exam. And so more and more programs are moving into this area where it's more of like an additional checkpoint, like a more advanced project than your master's. So like for my program, and I've said this before, it's like a big lit review or it's like an NIH grant. So National Institute of Health, federal government grant, similar to NSF, if anyone is listening is like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, It's just a big grant that you apply for. You don't have to get it funded to pass your quals. It's just like the grant writing experience and how wild that is. It, it fits that check mark for them to be like, you know, you come up with the idea for it generally, whether it be the lit review or the, um, the grant. And then, you know, you have to propose the idea, then you do whatever that project is, and then you defend it. Just like you kind of defend a master's of like, yeah, I did the project or I did the grant and here's what I did. And they can be like, yeah, this is sufficient. Or they can be like, no, we still need a couple of things from you to feel like this has, I don't know, been comprehensive enough, I guess if you want to call it that. But that's how it works in the PhD program where like before you're allowed to do your dissertation, you have to go through this step and it changes how tuition works for you. And it's just like a couple different, like you become a candidate a PhD candidate once you pass quals, things like that. So in a master's program, I know you don't speak for all master's students, but in your master's program, how did it, it sounds like you said it was just a program requirement. Was it an all day exam? Was it just a lit review? I'm sure it wasn't just a lit review, but like, what was that? What was it? So I'm a test person. I actually, part of the reason I want to go into neuropsychology and assessment is because I like taking tests. I think it's fun. So that's weird. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people who are like, I, I know it's weird. No, no. Oh my gosh. I did not mean to call you out. I'm just like, honestly, no, I, I think that it's perfect. That. If you like it, you should do it because that's yeah, no. not most people's experience. Yes. I was. I have a lot of people that are like, oh, I'd rather, ta- I'd rather write a paper and argue my point. And I just was like, I'm really good at memorization. Oh, I'd like yeah, to just tell I'm you what like I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the test was actually, uh, if anyone in undergrad had those little green booklets that are just like lined paper, it was a, it was an essay exam with one of those little things. And we went to, we went to one of the lab rooms for some reason. So like those super sturdy, weird black tables, it was freezing, Mm -hmm. it was basement, it was all morning. So I think it was like a, like an eight to noon or a nine to one kind of thing. So you got four hours and we had three core classes that everyone had to take. And then you could kind of choose your electives a little bit. So it was neuroanatomy and neurophysiology. So how neurons work and ion channels and stuff like that. And then psychopharmacology. So we had, everyone had taken those classes. So you signed up for the next date to take your test and they handed you a little green booklet. And then every professor of those three classes wrote, I think three essay questions and you had to pick two, mm-hmm. you know? So my, my physiology teacher was just like, what is a neuron? He just kind of gave you that and was like, tell me everything you know. 
So I was like, okay, let me let me throw out cell body and dendrites and potassium and sodium. And here's absolutely everything I know about neurons on and on and on. And then they and then they score it. And if you, you know, you actually I went into my advisor's office and we went through my little book together to talk about, you know, things that I missed and things that I did well on and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I apparently did the best on neuroanatomy of my cycle of taking the test. Congrats. And I remembered all four of the like spinal tracts. Fancy. Yes. Very, very fun. I've had a couple exams similar to that in my life. It reminds me when I was an undergrad, I took, there was this professor who was just like, I don't even really know how to describe him, a legend. He had been a teacher since like the 70s. And his whole thing was that he would lecture and and not really have notes in front of him. He would just talk and we would take notes on it. And then he would do that thing where like, he just asked you, you know, he would give you like, these are the potential things I could ask you. And then day of, he literally would pick a card out of a deck and whatever number it was, he'd be like, that's the question you're doing. Yep, I had a professor did that. Yeah. And so I had that in undergrad. And then my very first year in my PhD program, we had this assessment class that was like so infamous. Oh, fam- well, not infamous in a bad way, but like so known that mm-hmm. like passing that midterm was like, you're p- welcome. Like you're now you're part of it. Like you've, we were given similar, but more like 21 questions. And then it was like day of, we got like 10 of them or something. It, we would have like, oh, one of them is going to be 20 points. So like go into detail about this one, but the other one's five. So like just answer this one kind of thing. So we kind of were able to vary it, but it reminds me a lot of that in terms of just like, you know it, tell me everything you know in a couple hours. So that's a stressful time. Yeah, yes. Uh, so the fun part was that we didn't get to see the questions ahead of time. Oh. It was, it was just, you took this class, you should know all of this, and then you can, you know, you don't have to answer one of the questions, so answer the ones you can to the best of your ability. And then I think you had to pass four out of six of them total. So you did three classes, two essays each, you know, so I like didn't do great on one of the psychopharmacology ones, but I think I got the other ones just fine. Actually, fun story about that one, like your card poll for which question you're going to answer. I had a professor, actually my neuropsychology professor in mm. college. I took a neuropsychology class my very last semester of senior year. And that's when I was like, ooh, brains are cool. I want to do this. And her exams, she had like an old school overhead where, you know, your teachers used to project like math problems onto the screen and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she had, she gave us the questions ahead of time and there were 10 of them. And she would roll a dice right before we took the exam to pick three of the questions. And that was honestly a little bit traumatizing because you just had to, you had questions you didn't want to answer because you weren't super like excited for them or you didn't know them very well. So I just was like freaking out as she's just like rolling these dice casually. And she wrote, it was two dice because 10 questions. So she would get like a 12 and be like, whoops, got to do it again. Wait. Okay. This is reminding me even further my example. So he Mm -hmm. would have a full 52 deck card, like deck. First off, he would show up to class and he would say, who wants to pick them? So students (gasps) were the ones picking them. Now I I have control issues. So every time I took two of his classes, I picked both times. Also probably not surprising. I hate this, that this is true, but like I was 100% the person in the first row who always asked questions, always had to like really get involved and engage with the teacher. I was very annoying. I'm not proud of it, but it's who I am. And it shocks literally no one listening who knows me in real life. (laughs) You're like, same. Okay, so my senior superlative was teacher's pet. Uh, my senior superlative was loudest girl. <laughs> wow, yeah, no, so mine, mine was teacher's pet. And so, but the thing is, I actually, I always sit in the back of the classroom mm. because for my anxiety, I like to be able to see the exit and get to it quickly. Sure. And I have like bionic vision. What? Uh, I have 2010. <gasps> so I things that are 20 that. feet away look to me as if they're 10. 
is what that means. So you're an eagle. Because if you have 2020, you see things basically. And so I was like, let me be kind to my four eyed friends and give <laughs> them the front spot. <laughs> I love so, yeah, that. So I always sat in the back, but then I always, uh, I, I get the loudest girl thing because then I always um, also would participate a lot from the back. Right. But I could speak loud enough that Oh my gosh. Well, and so like part two of this, not only did students pull, right? But like the jokers were in the deck. So if you pulled a joker, you chose the questions for the exam. And I did oh that gosh, for right. one of them. I Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like it, it ends up just being, I mean, it, it, it was tough. The one time I was in a, I was in the class, I pulled one and then he had another student pull the other and the other student pulled a joker. And everyone was like, oh my God, number two, number two. And she went with it. And when I pulled, this sounds so awful. I'm really not a terrible person. But when I pulled it, I pulled a joker. I like didn't, I, this is so bad. I'm, I'm not an asshole. But like, I just know that I need to answer number one. Partially, like I had just prepared poorer for that one. But it was one of those classes that like he gave out like one A a semester or something like that. And I was like, look, I'm applying to grad school. Like I can't really mess around. Everyone ends up being fine. Like he gives a lot of A minuses. He gives a lot of B pluses. But it was like he was just really tough with teaching. You know, he was old school psychodynamic psychologist. Like, I don't know. It was just really tough. So that was crazy pressure. I mean, that was that was an interesting thing to relate on. I've just like been there. Those exams are tough. With like the blue books and everything. My hand hurts at the end. It's just awful. Oh, oh my God. The hand cramping. Yes. But it was because we did it in a lab room. We were all sitting around a table. It was almost like, it was almost like we were like going to have a meal together. We were all sitting around this long table. And so we could all kind of see each other. And we all, you know, we all were kind of like, wow, like, do you feel terrible? And I was like, yes, I feel terrible, but let's get through this. And so you would, whenever someone left, he would be like, oh my God, I'm still working. But you'd also be like, oh, good for them. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they're done. See, and as a test taker, I am notorious for being the first one done mm. to the point that I've had many professors, I would like walk up and they'd be like, do you have a question? And I was like, no, I'm <laughs> done. Here you go. And they're like, are you sure? There's always just been kind of genuine shock. And then I get an A and they're like, I don't understand. It definitely depends on the class for me. Anything that's essay based, I take as much possible time. Yes. I don't think I'm as good with words. Like I was thinking about this with the podcast. I would feel super uncomfortable doing a blog or like having this be a blog instead of a oh, podcast. Writing. Yeah. I just, I feel like I would, I don't know. I don't translate into words as well as I just like normally speak. Like I don't, I don't know. Maybe on Twitter, I come across exactly how I am, but like, I'm just not, I don't like paying attention to exactly what I'm typing and how much time, like, I just want to talk and not necessarily that I'm really good at communicating like via talking, but those essay exams, I would just take so much time, but I am curious. So you did your master's program. You graduated during COVID. You had comps along the way. You had classes along the way. You did a thesis by choice in a lab that you cold emailed and reached out to and got. And you even mentioned before we started talking that you had a longer journey to your master's. So maybe let's start there. So tell me a little bit about your journey to master's and like, why a master's? Like, why did you choose that first? Is it part of the plan? Did it change your thoughts? Like, what was your journey like? Yeah. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to high school. Yes. Just Cause everyone loved high school. Mm. So when I was, when I was just in grade school in general, I got good grades and I, both of my parents work in the printing and publishing industry. My mom wanted to study psychology in college and her parents said, that's not going to be lucrative. No, you're not allowed. And so I'm definitely not a first term college student, but you know, grad school has not been in my family. Studying psychology has not been in my family. And I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I went through my own mental health journey in high school and I thought, wow, okay, this is horrible, but now it's something I'm passionate about. Yep. 
Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Mental health. Yes. And so, and I love taking Spanish classes. And so I thought, okay, let me do a psychology degree with a Spanish minor in college. And then I got to college and I was like, oh, wow. I still don't really know what I want to do with this. I had a Spanish minor too. Yes. We should practice with each other outside of the podcast when right. we're not recording. Right. Yep. Um, actually, I listen to the Duolingo podcast. So if you're a podcast person, you speak Spanish and you want to practice, they have a podcast and it's like intermediate Spanish. It's cool stories about culture. There's like one about skydiving and one about making coffee in Argentina. So cool. Oh my God. I'm totally going to listen to that. Sorry to cut you yeah. off, but like living for that recommendation. Thank you. Okay, so I was doing this degree, and then, as I said, my last semester of college, I actually did, let me plug, I did community college for a year yes. after high school. Um, when I was in high school, I played volleyball year-round. I didn't have time for a job. I didn't have a car. So after I graduated from high school, my mom and I were like, let's build some life school skills before we run off to college. So she taught me how to cook her my favorite recipes of hers. I got a job. You know, I just did those life things that I needed for a year. And then I went to college and I still, I only did undergrad for three years. So I still did it in four years as possible. And then, so my very last semester, I took this neuropsychology class and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Brains are so cool. Mm-hmm. She went over imaging the third class and I was like, that's beautiful. And then I was like, okay, I need to make sure I'm interested in this other than just the fMRI pictures. Yeah. Or MRI yeah. pictures. So I went to her office hours and I was like, hi, this is amazing. I want to do it. Oh. And she said, I don't think you can. What? She said, she said, I don't think you can do it. And I was doing well in her class and I participated. Why? I had okay. some bad grades from school. Why is that helpful? Like, I know. even if the, here's my thing, right? Even if the professor thinks that, and this gets on my point on parenting that I'm not getting into, but like, why is it helpful to tell someone they can't do it? They're going to figure that out or it's going to be demonstrated to them. Like, you don't need to be an asshole. Yeah. You don't need yeah. to be the one. You, right. you don't need to protect them. Exactly. So so my mental health issues had kind of, you know, transitions are really difficult. So my first year of actual college didn't go amazing grade wise. But then I kind of I figured it out. I started playing volleyball. I started taking care of myself better. Yes. And so I was on the dean's list for the rest of my last four semesters straight. I was getting like a 3.5 or above. And so when I went to her my senior, I guess it was spring of my senior year. So maybe she just kind of thought like it's too late or something. Oh, I can't even. She just, yeah, she just was like, I don't think, I don't, I don't love that journey for you. And I was like, I don't. Well, this is what I want. Bye. I literally, oh. Yeah. And my college had failed me in a different way where they didn't give me an advisor. I was a transfer student because of my community college credits. So I was never a freshman. So I didn't really learn how college worked. Uh, just because they didn't force me to do those intro things. And then they did a lot of feelings right now. So yeah, I was, oh my God. Oh my God. So I didn't, I didn't know that research was something that I was supposed to be doing, which is part of why I did a master's because when I was in college, I just took classes and played volleyball and watched Netflix. And I didn't know that I was supposed to be doing more than that. So she told me I couldn't do it. I didn't have anyone else to turn to, and she didn't even give me alternatives. And so this is what kills me because my advice now is like, why don't you do, you know, why don't you do a post-back? Why don't you do like an after undergrad research position? Or since I wanted to be a neuropsychologist, I could have been a psychometrist. For those who don't know, that's someone who like does the assessments and works under a neuropsychologist. I've done a little bit of work doing that just now, but that would have been a great avenue for me if I wasn't ready or if I needed time or something. But she just was like, nope. <sighs> So, okay. So, so I was like, okay, so what do I do? And I started looking for programs. I was like, I still want to do this. Let me look for grad school and see what I can do. It's spring semester. So I totally have missed like that December 1st, January 1st deadline for applying to PhD programs. But I was like, let me see what's out there. 
And I was also still dating my high school sweetheart at the time. So we were all, we were both in the Midwest. And so there was this school in Chicago that was like, hey, we'll take you. We have a neuropsychology concentration. Come on over. So I studied, I graduated on a Saturday from college. I studied a GRE book that was five years old for five days. And I took the GRE the next Saturday. Wow, fun. Crushed it. I'm a test person. So I crushed it. I went to the Cheesecake Factory after. Oh my gosh. It was, it was actually kind of a good time. I did not crush the GRE. So I hate you, but that's fine. I actually, and it's funny because I'm like, wow, I did well on the GRE, but also it's not a good predictor and I think it should go, but I have good scores, but no, it's not fair to people. You know, I've had that whole, like, it's oh, good it's for me, but it's not good in general. Yeah. So I, I started this program and I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh, everyone in my program was like, you're really a quantitative person. You're really into cognitive behavioral therapy. You're really into the numbers. And I was like, oh, am I a researcher? Am I, am I a researcher <laughs> An and no one told me? crisis. <laughs> yes. And then the minute I got there, they were like, oh, yeah, the neuropsychologist that ran the neuropsychology emphasis that we told you we have, uh, they left. Mm. And we're not going to fix that. Very useful. And then I'm in a major city and I'm paying crazy tuition. And I just was like, you know what? This is not for me. But I stayed for a whole year mm. and I took classes that I wasn't supposed to because I was like, let me let me make let me make the most of this opportunity. So when I when I started for semester, I was taking like assessment and how to do therapy and all those classes. And then when I decided to leave, I was like, I will stick out this year and let's see what classes I can take that will be useful for me. So I took like, you know, if I wanted to do more science, I took kind of a physiological psychology class. And then I just was like, OK, what do I do now? It's going to be pretty hard to get into a PhD program right after leaving another doctorate program because people are going to be like, girl, what? No, like you yeah. tried this and you didn't do it. So we don't really want to invest in you. So I thought, what should I do to make myself a better candidate if I want to do a PhD still next? Sure. So sure. that's where I thought the master's was going to be appropriate. And then I had done a Bachelor of Arts in college. Literally, the only science class I took was astronomy because it counted as the <laughs> physics credit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was like, you need to take a physics course. So you either need to take physics or astronomy. And I was like, ooh, OK, sign me up. Take so astronomy. Half, right. So it was a lab science class, but half of our lab was sitting in a planetarium. And oh, listening. my God. And my lab professor was from New Zealand. Oh, so that was the best. It sounds like my dream, as I'm sure you know from listening to episode yes. seven. That sounds like heaven yeah it was it was amazing they had the like reclined seats so i just got to look at the stars and oh listen my... to this amazing voice to tell me about them he would talk about the zenith it was amazing oh my gosh i'm so jealous but i had no science experience yeah. i like knew how to do some spss stats and i had run a super tiny thing in our like how to do research for a psych major class mm -hmm. but i just was like okay if i'm interested in the brain and i'm interested in neuropsychology but neuropsych master's programs aren't really a thing. And school was kind of all I ever knew. Maybe I could have gotten just a job or in research or something, but I didn't have experience. I didn't know yeah. where to look for that. So I just was like, let's do more school because that's where I'm comfy. Let me take sure. some tests. I'm good at that. I mean, I think it makes sense. Like you've probably heard me on the podcast, like say this about psychology that I usually don't tell people that do a master's in psychology unless there's certain like very specific circumstances because usually a job is more beneficial. But like, I actually think that this is exactly the circumstance to go into a master's of being like, oh, I do have knowledge in this area. Let me show you. And I ha don't have research experience, but like, look at how much you got to dabble. Do you know what I mean? I think that this is like a totally. perfect example of when this is very appropriate. Yeah. And it was great for me to jump from, okay, like just psychology and arts and language to be like, all right, let's hit me with that heavy science. 
I haven't taken biology since high school and chemistry and stuff since high school, but let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped in and they were like, okay, molecular techniques. And I was like, yep, sure. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. We we went straight into talking about like QT-PCR and northern blots or western blots or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just okay this is terrifying um stem cells are cool and like wow i get to take a genetics class awesome this isn't intimidating at all yeah you really jumped two feet in oh yes okay so this big thing that i had to get comfortable with when i started my master's program was i even talked to my advisor about it when i got there i was like i need to learn to be comfortable not knowing things Mm. you know being being kind of a teacher's pet being a kid with good grades I was like a little bit of a know-it-all when I was younger and so I was like here is my chance to be like wow I don't even know what I don't know yep so let me just jump into these classes and be comfortable with it and it's going to be totally fine and then in that class with my advisor she was talking about why you know we were talking about this paper And they did one of two techniques. And she was like, I'm not really sure why they did that technique instead of this one for this research question. And so I was like, "Um, here's why I think they made that choice. And one of my super, like one of my friends that was way further into the science than me was like, point psych student. (gasps) That's so cute. Thank you. 10 (laughs) points to Ravenclaw. That's great. I'm a Ravenclaw. I mean, I think all of us are. I'm not going to lie. But like, I was going to say, I I did have some, some Hufflepuff lab mates. Because they would just bake and bring cookies to the lab all the time. We all need a Hufflepuff in our life. Yes, we really do. But yeah, I'm I a Ravenclaw. What is your boyfriend? Not a Harry Potter person. Mm, that's hard. Are so, you okay? I'm fine. We'll get to that. <laughs> My boyfriend is a Slytherin. So. Yeah, I just think maybe you he's can make a Gryffindor, him... but I think he'd maybe be embarrassed by that. Mm, make him take the test online. And then you'll see how that goes. Actually, both of my siblings are Ravenclaw Hufflepuff combos. Oh. And so when they took, like, when they were taking quizzes online and they found that out, I told them that that's what they were. And at the same exact time, one of them said, Oh, I'm a Ravenpuff. And the other said, The other one said, Oh, I'm a Huffleclaw. And I was like, Oh, perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. I think my brother is like full on Hufflepuff, (laughs) but I don't know if he really likes that. I think he like thinks he's a Gryffindor, but he's a Hufflepuff. My brother's uh, his astrology sign is a Cancer, and so Me the too. Hufflepuff vibes just make a lot of sense there. Interesting. I'm definitely not a Hufflepuff though. What's your Patronus? Ooh, I was just gonna ask you that. Oh, we almost said it at the same time. Um, okay, so I took the test three times because I didn't mm-hmm. like my first result, and then I was like, you know what? No. Yeah. That was cheating. So let me go back. So I actually do identify with my first result. It's just not cute, but it's actually really accurate. I'm a wild boar. I'm a dolphin. Love that journey for you. Oh, I like, felt so weird when I got that. I was like, I'm a dolphin. Okay, but like okay. In- intelligence, communication, like I guess social. So. I guess the dolphin would have a podcast. Yeah. So, so mine. I looked up. Uh, so I looked up the symbolism behind it, and boars are independent and strong and stubborn. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh that would be me. That's me. <laughs> Okay, so you went through this program, wasn't a good fit, and then decided to do a master's. And so did you just like get in on your first try? Like, was it a pretty seamless transition into that? Uh, So I actually, I emailed the director to ask if they accepted spring students. And she said, yes, totally apply whenever. And so it just seemed very open. Um, I think they kind of were like, if you're willing to work hard, we'll take you is is kind of the vibe. I love that. I looked, (laughs) there are psych master's programs everywhere, right? Yes. But I wanted to do the neuroscience. I wanted to get into that side because then I thought it would be perfect to kind of combine my psych background and my neuroscience background to Mm -hmm. go into neuroscience. Literally a compound word of those things. Yes. 
And so I applied to two neuroscience master's programs. And one of them was a one-year program at Tulane. And I was like, I don't even know how that would work, but it would be super fast. It would get me the degree and I could move on. Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to live in Louisiana, but let's do this. It wouldn't be very long. And they were like, nope, you didn't take any science classes in college. What are you doing? What are you talking about? You couldn't handle this accelerated course. Valid. Yeah. Right. So then I also applied to my program on the East Coast and they were like, sure, let's have a phone call. And... You know, it was it was pretty typical. It was letters of rec. I had to write a statement of intent. And they just were like, yeah, you seem invested. You seem ready for this. Come on over. Amazing. I I love that, that like you had the opportunity, you know, it it really speaks to we all have these like preconceived notions of like what you have to have before you do this, what you have to have before you do that. And like, obviously, there are some things like, yeah, if you haven't done research, it's going to be really difficult to do a PhD program. Like, sure, there's some a couple rules there. But like, I love that your story is basically like, I wanted to kind of switch what I was doing. And I found the program that was right for me. And like, you have a really awesome RA now from my understanding of it. So like it worked out. I don't know. I love the message behind this of like, do the cold email. Don't be afraid to switch up what you're doing if you've never taken a science class and you want to go that way. And, you know, I am curious to hear, right? So you you did your master's. You're in this RA job for two years, as you mentioned, I think, before we started recording. I don't know if you said it while we were recording, but what's next? What do you want to do after the RA? Right. Uh, so... My whole goal overall has been to become a clinical neuropsychologist, kind of what I wanted since I took that neuropsychology class. And I guess the next step is to do the clinical psych PhD. You know, that's something that I really want to push is that when you're making these choices about master's or PhD or school or work or whatever, you have to be really focused on what do you need in order to get what you want. So, you know, so part of me doing the master's was, okay, this isn't going to get me my dream job. Being a research assistant right now, I'm not like making more money than I would have before or anything like that. And even my current research is not my like dream topic, but you have to be so open because opportunities are fleeting and you never know what's going to come up. And it's not going to, you know, if you pick exactly what you want to do, exactly what you want to do, and then you go try to find that and it doesn't exist, you're kind of out of luck. So I've tried to be really open to my opportunities that will just get me closer to what I want. And so that was kind of the idea. So right now I'm doing substance use and transcranial magnetic stimulation research. Ooh. Yeah. So TMS, um, I actually did in my neuropsychology course in college, my final paper was on TMS as a treatment for depression. Oh, cool. And then when I did my thesis, my lab mates were learning how to do TMS. So I offered to be a guinea pig. And so I had already had this like random experience with this. And then... Let me tell you, finding a research assistant job was not easy. Those are so hard to find them. So hard. I, I applied for research assistant jobs and psychometrist jobs during my last year. So I'm writing my thesis and I'm applying for jobs like crazy. Mm-hmm. That last MRI that I ran before COVID started, I actually had had an interview in Boston right before it. So I had wow. an interview in Boston in the morning and then I drove to the university to run an MRI immediately next. Oh my gosh. In like my suit and everything. Oh my gosh. I remember reading, you had like a a thread on Twitter about like, here's my journey to getting a job. This was bullshit. Like, yes, it was worse than the cold emails because you would put in all of this time and all this effort and then you would get there and you would talk to them and it would go great. And then they would literally never speak to you again. And that was horrible. But I just, I wanted a position that would get me experience and that would, you know, I, I wanted a good mentor, get some research experience, get some publications, hopefully, because I know that those are things that will be helpful for getting into the PhD program next and 
the place where I'm working, people generally do that. It's kind of the next stepping stone. Mm -hmm. And so even doing a master's degree, I didn't narrow down my research interests all that much because I just kind of did the project that was available to me. I didn't exactly decide like what I want to do next Mm -hmm. when it comes to a research topic. So this is another area for me to explore and try to figure out because we're going to do a bunch of collaborative projects. Yeah. Me and my PI. He's actually starting. He's starting a brand new lab. So I'm on the ground floor of this brand new substance use TMS lab. I mean, it's such good experience. And I love, you know, I have also talked on the podcast about, I didn't take a gap year. And for those of you listening, there's a gap year episode coming up next semester. Don't worry, we're going to get into it. But like, I didn't take a gap year. And I really wish I would have for the exact thing that you're talking about. Like you are marinating and it's so good to get to explore freely. You look like you want to say something. Tell me, what is it? Yes. Okay. So, you know, you're like, I'm a fetus thing, mm-hmm. you know? So oh, I yeah. felt that way. I just, I just, I just need to connect this with you. I felt that way when I started like my side D and I, I finished college and I just was like, if I had finished that doctorate program, I would be a doctor like now. And what I feel like at this point, I feel like a toddler in your, you know, kind of, kind of in that, um, in that like very, um, yeah, like valid and reliable measurement of adult development. Yes. Yes. Within the metaphor of our grad school development. And so I'm glad that I am not a doctor who feels like a toddler. I needed this time. That's a big benefit of master's for me is that I needed this time to grow as a person. Yeah. I got my first car. I fell in love. I figured out my mental health a little bit more. This is so beautiful. I learned how grad school works. Masters is a really great way to have like a low stakes early grad school experience where you kind of learn how to do presentations and how to network and how to do research without it being like, oh my God, I have to do everything perfect for this PhD program first. You get a chance to screw up. I mean, I will say, right, with PhD being such a long journey, like at least for my personal program, it was very much the vibe of like, just take some time to develop. Like there's no rush. I did get that vibe, but at the same time, like it would have been a different experience were that not the first time I got that vibe. Like exactly what you're saying. Like I've said it before. I'll say it again. You guys will hear me say it a million times. I would have really benefited from time to marinate. Like I just would have. I feel like a toddler now, kind of like what you're saying, but like I very easily, and maybe this is related to my crazy burnout I had this week, but like I can very clearly see areas that I don't have foundational things. And I feel a lot of pressure as a fourth year grad student to be filling that now, as opposed to like, if I came in with those couple of blind spots and had used the last couple of years as a master's, you know, logistically, there are reasons that like I wouldn't have ever have men- ended up with my mentor and like she is exactly who I want to work with. So like that wouldn't have been worth it. But it would have been a different experience to be spending my first couple years filling the blind spots rather than finding them in my PhD program. And like I there are a lot, I know people who go straight through who have had similar experiences to me, but also who never had this. So there's no way to predict if this is going to be you. But I I definitely think that like hearing your experience, like I'm minorly jealous. I'm like, you are having time to marinate and simmer and you're not in a pressure cooker. And there's benefit to that. And I think, you know, big question, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Overall, was the master's program worth it? Yes, for me. I think, and I want to I validate this experience for anyone else. I've had to get through a lot of guilt and shame about my journey mm. because wow, did I fail and quit and wow, does that feel horrible? But I wouldn't be where I am now. 
I did what I needed to do, I guess. And everyone's journey is different. And if you have, I know I worked with undergraduates that went to the same institution my master's were, and they were like going to conferences and doing presentations and doing research. And so I was like, wow, you have your stuff figured out just a little bit earlier than I did. And that's okay. That's great for you. You can go straight to a PhD program and excel. You're a genius. You're amazing. I wasn't there at that age. And I worked really hard to sit with the fact that I don't, I didn't have to be a doctor by 26. That would have been like cool and exciting, but I just turned 26 uh, last weekend. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, The scariest birthday. Part of the reason I had to work so hard to find a job was because I needed a full-time gig with benefits because of how healthcare works. And so my dad just texted me and he was like, oh, hey, looks like your coverage under me is going to end on November 1st. And I was like, guess what? My coverage under my big girl job starts on November 1st. I planned for this. Amazing. I took care of it at the last second. And so, but that's okay because this is where I, you know, this is where I needed to be. So I think a master's is definitely not for everyone. I think what you really need to know is what do you need to prepare yourself for the PhD? If that's the goal, then, you know, if you didn't get a chance to do research in undergrad because you had a small school or you didn't have time, you had to work, support family, things like that. Could you do a postdoc position? Is there a job that's related to the field you want to go into where you could get some like really on the ground work? Because as, as a psychometrist, I got to see neuropsychologists with my boss. So like my bosses, I got to see what their life was like. And that was really helpful for my decision. I didn't even tell you, I tried to do an informational interview with a neuropsychologist in college. Oh. I was like, let's meet at a coffee shop. I'll have lemonade. I want to, you know, I want to have my coffee. Um, and I was like, I want to, I want to ask you what your life is like, what your day to day is like. And she just didn't even really answer my questions. She like complained about her coworkers and her family the whole time. It sounds very appropriate. Even when I tried to redirect. And so it's one of those things where I, I think if you're trying to figure out what you want, you should reach out to people and ask, but they won't necessarily always be helpful with that. So, so the master's was worth it for me. Basically, I loved doing my thesis. I loved my lab mates. I loved my PI. And so she was the one who said, who advocated for me when I applied for this research assistant job. And that's, that's what's going to get me on my way. And that's just what I personally needed to get to the next step. So hopefully I start a PhD program in like three years. Then it, then it will have been worth it for sure. Absolutely. And I really like that, like, first off, the fact that you were talking about, like, you know, you have some guilt and you have some shame. It's really interesting because I feel like I'm having that now as on the flip side of, like, I'm really glad I ended up where I am. And I have a lot of, like, I shouldn't have been pressured to start grad school like I did. So I, you know, we, we all have even however great it seems someone else's journey is like, we all go through like, was this the right path for me or not? And I think we mostly land on yes. And if we land on no, we switch it up like you did. But like, everyone has a different journey to this and journey through this. And I, I say the word journey enough that it might as well be a meme on this podcast. But like, it's really true. And I really like that you were just talking about it made sense for me. And here's why and I'm at peace with that generally. Yeah. I think that that's key. I think that that's how you know that it's the right path for you. And I've said this before too, like most people in my PhD program didn't go straight through. Most people started in their mid to late twenties. Like you're older than I am. Yeah. Like this doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? We're, well, really we're like the same age because I turned 26 this year, but like, Right, but you're matter. a fourth year and I'm right. not even there yet. Right, you're a four, I'm a fourth year. And so it doesn't matter when you start as long as you're starting for the right time for you. This like pressure of like, this has to work out this time, this choice I made has to be it. It's scary to think that it doesn't, but like 
it doesn't necessarily have to be. And you can figure out the right thing for you. And you'll probably be a better scientist and grad student because of it. Yeah, I think I think this experience will make me more successful in grad school because me having done a grad school program is a much better predictor of me being able to do another one than, say, my GRE score. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't even get me started on that. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> so we are coming to the end of recording here because, unfortunately, I have a Browns game to go watch. But Hannah... I want to hear what are your final thoughts on today's episode and what we've talked about? What are the takeaways that you want somebody listening to this episode to take from like your story? I want everyone to know that everyone's journey is different. And as much as that's kind of a cliche, it's something to get comfortable with because there is no, there's not really a guidebook for exactly how to do this, especially with neuropsychology being like this really niche field. Like no one is going to tell you exactly how to do this exactly the right way. So whenever you're making your choices, because decisions are hard, I'm a Libra. Decisions are so hard, so indecisive and stubborn. So when you're making your choices about what to do with your life, you know, you have to think about what do I need to do to get where I want to be next? You don't have to totally freak out about the huge final step you know, because I know once you get towards the end of your PhD program, then you have to decide, you know, there's internship and then there's postdoc and there's your actual career finally. So just really be mindful of like, what do you like doing and where is what you do going to get you next? And then since you asked what my next steps, I'm just going to, just going to plug some things for myself right here. <gasps> do it. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Advocate for yourself. Show yourself off. So I want to do a clinical psychology PhD program, maybe with the neuropsych emphasis and concentration kind of built in because I really want to focus on that. That's really where I'm at. And some some research things that I'm thinking about in case anyone wants to like ping me and be like, hey, this lab does this and it's super cool. Yes. Because I'm doing substance use and TMS. I've done language. I think getting neuropsychological assessment to the Spanish speaking population is super important, but I also recognize that I am a white woman. So I kind of want to support that field without taking a place that doesn't belong to me. But I just think that's a big one. Um, I think mindfulness is really cool. And I've done biofeedback therapy as a treatment for myself. So that one's amazing. Um, Kind of learn how to control your fight or flight response with that. But then also just kind of mood disorders. Um, I had a memory and dementia kick because I had a great memory professor who just was like, here's how memory works every single day of class. And at the end of class, she'd be like, that's not actually how it works. We don't really know. She's like, here's a theory, but here's why it's wrong. So cool. Um, and then I have, uh, I have a sibling with ADHD and I love when I coach volleyball, I get to work with adolescents. So I love that population. So those are all of my things. And I'd love to do any combination of those things. So if that's something that's interesting to you and you want to talk to me about it on Twitter or pitch your program to me, tell me where to apply. I like cold weather. On that topic, let's promote your Twitter again. Hannah, where can people find you online? Yes, come chat with me uh, at overhanalyze is my Twitter handle. Um, Once again, that's O-V-E-R-H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-Z-E. My DMs are open. You can just send me Shit's Creek GIFs. Just give me anything you can. I love learning about new things. And I have so many interests. Let's just add to it. If you Amazing. do something that's not something I mentioned, tell me about it anyway. Hannah, this was such a blast. I am so glad we got to finally do an episode and finally get to meet after like basically yes. becoming friends on Twitter. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you. This was really fun. This was super fun. Well, listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will catch you next time. Hey! 
Thanks for listening to the entire episode. Love that journey for you. If you want more Dear Grad Student, you can find the podcast on social media. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on YouTube by searching Dear Grad Student Podcast. If you just want to connect with me online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E L A N A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. Reminder that if you are interested in trying out BetterHelp, joining the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced licensed professional, you can visit betterhelp.com slash deargradstudent or click that same link in the description for this episode. And if you like what you heard in the podcast today, catch up on all your missed episodes. Send your favorite episode to a friend. Word of mouth really, really helps the podcast. And if you can, please rate and leave a review for Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you find your other favorite shows. Reminder that all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Alana.